The New Testament lesson for today comes from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first own inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it. Patience with patience. This is the word of the Lord. The sermon lesson today comes from Psalm, 80, Psalm 88. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Before you, incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. Salah. You have caused my companions to shun me, You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Salah. Is your steadfast love declared for your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your tears. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me, and my companions have become darkness. This is the word of the Lord. Our God, we thank you that you are one who speaks to us in these places of, and of confusion and pain and loss. 
And would you help us to hear your voice, a voice of hope and joy and peace and life. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So it's been a very difficult few days for the UGA community and the city of Athens. And we have many in here who are connected directly with the university and the student body. And it's hit really hard. It's left this wake of sadness and loss and confusion and fear. And as I was talking to one student earlier this week, she just asked the simple question, how do I process this? And I so badly wanted to be able to give just a simple answer that would fix everything and, and make everything clear. But the, the truth is there, there is no simple answer because there just is no simple solution. Jesus was very clear in speaking to his followers when he said, in this world, you will have trouble. And that wasn't a threat. It wasn't a a scare tactic. It was honest help. Jesus is saying that as a part of this life, suffering and hardship and difficulty and pain and loss and confusion and all sorts of other trouble are going to be a part of your life. Those even whom God greatly delights in and loves and who gives himself for. And you, my beloved, will not be immune From this. And so, what that means is we, in our own journey of faith, have to realize that pain and difficulties are going to be a significant part, and we have to learn and grow into responding to that with a kind of faith and with a kind of hope. Which is why during this Lenten season, these Sundays leading up to Good Friday and Easter, we are going to be doing. Uh, a series that looks at this question of suffering and really focusing on God's role over suffering, on God's role entering into suffering, and of God's work working through our suffering. And that brings us this morning to Psalm 88. And in the collection of 150 psalms that you have in your Bible, Psalm 88 has this special place. Many of the Psalms, especially those that are spoken out of these places of difficulty, have this kind of movement or this this arc to them. They begin with this expression of trust and love. They move into this place of great difficulty and confusion. And then towards the end, they come out with new expressions of faith and trust. And Psalm 88 looks initially like it's following this movement. It starts off with this expression of trust and acknowledgement of who God is, and it moves into the darkness. And just when you expect for it to begin moving its way up, it it doesn't do anything like that. It leaves you there. It does not end with this person coming out of this dark tunnel It doesn't even end with this person looking at the end of this tunnel and seeing a light and having this glimmer of hope. It ends in darkness, literally, in in our English translation and in our Hebrew originals. The, The last word in this psalm is just darkness. My only companions are darkness, or another way of saying that, darkness is my only friend. 
But this psalm is not accidentally in our Bibles. This song is actually a gift to us because God knows that we find ourselves in these places where we haven't come out of the tunnel and are looking back with joy and gratitude. And we are also in these places where when we look down the road, we can't even see the light at the end of the tunnel. And so God gives us these words to know that we're not alone and to speak hope and life into these places. And so here's where we're going this morning as we look at the Psalms. I want us to consider three things. I want the reality of suffering. Second, our response to suffering. And third, finding life in suffering or finding rest in suffering. So three things, suffering, reality, response, and rest. So first, the reality of suffering. So in case you've been living in another state uh, and you didn't realize, we have had a lot of big rains over the past few weeks. And if your house is prone to leaks, this has not been a fun time for you. So during, during the first, and we're one of those uh, houses. So during the first big rain, we, we noticed that water was, um, was seeping into our basement crawl space. It was going under the wall and it was going out uh, into the bathroom and it was, it was pouring in. And this was a day in which this water was just, was just coming down in full. And as I went into the crawl space, I saw and there was just this hole where water was just pouring out from. And so in the middle of the rain, there, there's nothing that I can do to make this rain uh, this water stop. I can't plug the hole in any way. So all that's happening is this water is flowing through our crawl space into our basement, and we have two shop vacs that we're just working nonstop for seven hours, just trying to, to keep it. We, we vacuumed up literally hundreds of gallons of water just coming in. And I remember there was, there was one point um, where, for the most part, for a while, we were keeping the water at bay from the rest of our our. Our basement, we were kind of keeping it contained in this bathroom. And then there was this time where the rain just came down especially hard and water came in pouring more. And there was this helpless feeling that set in as we're, as we're vacuuming up as fast as we can, realizing that water is just coming in faster than, than we can get it out. And knowing, looking at the radar and knowing, I can't make this stop until the rain stops. There's this just helpless feeling of flooding in. It really is too much for me to handle, and we're just doing damage control and not doing that well at that. Life can sometimes feel that way, where these difficulties come flooding in. Uh, You try to plug the hole as you can't. You want the rain to stop, but you also realize you don't control nature. You don't control the circumstances around you. You try your best to do damage control, but it doesn't stop and it just keeps coming in. It doesn't take a break. And you realize that this really is more than I can take on. It really is too much. You feel like you're fighting a losing battle. I want you to listen to what this psalmist is going through. Verse three, my soul is full of troubles. I'm getting closer to death. My life is drawing near to Sheol. Verse four, it's like I'm stuck in a deep pit. I'm tired. I'm worn down. Verse five, it feels like God has forgotten me. It feels like God has just cut me off. Verse six, I'm in a dark place like a deep pit. Verse seven, it's like you're angry with me. 
It's like your waves are just crashing in on me again and again, and I can't keep my head above water. Verse 8, even my friends have rejected me. I'm trapped. Verse 15, my has been hard. In verse 18, it's closed. My companions have become darkness, or as another translation says so well, darkness has become my only friend. What do you hear when you hear those words? I can, I can tell you what you don't hear. Uh, you don't hear minimizing. You don't hear numbing out. You don't hear someone saying, everything is great. You don't hear a superficial, everything's fine. You don't hear, it's no big deal. What you hear is somebody wrestling honestly with the real difficulties of life and not knowing if they are really going to make it. What you're hearing is, I am in real trouble. And if you don't help me, I'm going to die. Some have approached the the problem of pain and suffering from a very theological and philosophical point of view, which is good. The question there is, is how could a good God allow the kinds of suffering and hardship that we see in our world? And it's it's not the question that we see really before us. This, this is not the, the writing of someone who is struggling with the question of suffering out there and what it means. This is someone who is wrestling with the question of suffering in here. But it, in this wrestling, we don't want to miss the very personal nature of this psalm. Notice, God is not treated as a distant idea. And suffering is not treated as this complex mathematical problem that we have to solve and figure out. Over and over again, the language of I, you, takes center stage. I, you, you, I. It is deeply personal. In the midst of all that this person is going through, they are not turning away from God, but they are turning towards God. God, engaging directly. It's, it's like the psalmist is saying, I'm, I'm going through all of these hard things. I know you're a part somewhere in here. We need to talk. And it's important for us to know that, that God loves and invites that kind of engagement. God is so patient and kind and compassionate when his children come towards him, even with this deep wrestlings and these questions and confusions, what he doesn't want to see them go is just and walk away. That's the reality of suffering. And this brings us to our second point, our response to suffering. We all, everyone in here responds to suffering in different ways. And we also try to help other people in their sufferings in different ways. Some of those ways are helpful. Many of those are not. But I want to highlight two common extremes that we often run towards. The first is what you might call the, the superficial approach. And this is kind of the, the band-aid approach. So if, if you are all of a sudden to just lose one of your arms, your, your brain and a friend comes up to you and, and says, I've got what you need. And they get out this kind of this box of band-aids and they start thumbing through them, looking for the right size. Um, what's your response in that moment? Um, there is a kind of disconnect because what, you, what 
from what you are going through and from how they are assessing your situation. That's sometimes what we do to others and it's sometimes what we do to ourselves as well. We, we look at these giant gaping wounds in our lives and we just say, that's eh, not that big of a deal. Merely a flesh wound. It's not that bad. The second is what you might call the, the cynical response. This, this goes to kind of the other extreme. And this is very in touch with, with pain and suffering, but it abandons hope really of any kind. So it, it, it kind of looks at suffering and says, okay, this is real, but it's also something that God has absolutely no control over. That God kind of looks at our difficulties and our hardships and his hands are kind of behind his back and he's like, I, I just, I wish I could help. I wish I could do something, but like, I'm, God's like, I'm, I can't. I can't. Or maybe it says there is no God. Like suffering just is. Like life is hard. You die. Like get over it. Deal with it. That's, that's more of, of the cynical approach. Uh, neither of those are, are biblical and neither of those are helpful. And the psalm that is before us follows a very different path, what you might call the honest response. It's a not quick fix or giving up, but intentional leaning into God with our pain. We see this in two ways. First, honest questions. Verse 10 the psalmist says, do you work wonders for the dead? Remember, this is, an, this is a direct engagement. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Verse 11, is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Verse 12, are, you, are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Even more pointedly in verse 14, Lord, why do you cast my soul away and why do you hide your face from me? Honest questions, personally directed. The second is honest challenges. Verse six, you have put me in the depths of the pit in regions dark and deep. Verse seven, your wrath lies heavy upon me. You overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You've made me a horror to them. Verse 16, your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. Verse 18, you've caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Honest challenges. And here I want to be a little careful. I don't want to assume that this psalmist is speaking out of a place where he's done something very wrong and he is rightfully experienced some kind of treatment from God. That's not what we read into this. And it also makes me think of Job and his sufferings, where Job's sufferings come at the hand of, of Satan, but as he's wrestling, as Job is wrestling with this life that has come falling apart, he wrestles and he says to God, it feels like you're on the hunt for me. It's like you're hunting me down with poison arrows and you're turning your face from me. We're just a few verses earlier, we hear God talk about how deeply pleased he is with Job. What that expresses is Job saying, this is how it feels. And I think that's what's happening in Psalm 88. The psalmist is saying, God, this is, how, this is what it feels like. This may not be what's really happening, but it just feels like you and your waves are crashing in on me. It feels like you've forgotten me. It feels like you've turned against me. 
feels like I'm nothing to you, like I'm trash and not worth your attention, your protection. In his book, A Grief Observed, C.S. Lewis, it's, it's maybe his most personal work where he, he walks through his own process of grieving the wife of his, the, the death of his wife, Joy. And, and it shook him really to the core. And he, he felt it especially just in his praying and how, how does he engage with this God in the light of the loss of his wife. And listen how he describes his own experience. God, you go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence becomes. There's no lights in the windows. It might even be an empty house. Was it ever even inhabited? It seemed like it was. What can this mean? Why is he so present in our time of prosperity and yet so very absent in times of trouble? Sometimes it feels like God has left the building. That when we knock, we hear what Lewis described as bolting and and double bolting. Of God finding a way to say, go away. I don't care. But Lewis didn't stay there, nor does the author of this prayer. And that brings us to our final point, finding rest in suffering. If you go back into the Old Testament, there's a scene in number complained before God. God had done beautiful and miraculous works, rescuing them out of slavery, providing for them in the wilderness, and he was bringing them into this good abundant land that he had promised them. But things turned out to be more difficult than the people anticipated. And when they're on the edge of this land, they, they begin to doubt if God's going to do what he said he did. Even more than that, they begin to respond. And listen how they respond. They say, if we had only died in Egypt or in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us die by the sword. Notice not the direct engagement, but it's, it's a horizontal. Why is, why is God doing this? To let us fall by the swords. Our wives or children are going to be taken as plunder. Would not it have been better for us to go back to Egypt? And so they said to one another, let's choose a leader and let's go back. In, in their response, you hear you hear questions and you hear challenges. But they're said in such a way, I'm done with you. Um, you have not delivered, so I'm going back. In this psalm, these honest questions and, and honest challenges are not the words of someone who is turning away from God, but they are the words of someone who is leaning into and turning into God. Look at verse one. I cry out day and night before you. Verse nine. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. That's God's reverent covenantal name. I call upon you, O Lord, and I spread out my hands to you. Even in all of this, verse 13. O Lord, I cry to you in the morning. In the morning my prayer comes up before you. Even in light of all the complaints and challenges, those are, those are words of, of reverence. And those are words of trust. 
And those are words of hope. And it's easy for us to get to the end of this psalm and miss where it begins. One feature of Hebrew poetry in the Psalms is that the, the, the opening line set the tone for what the rest is going to be about. It's like the, the, it's like the, um, the tune by which the rest of the music is going to follow. And that is so important as we look at the rest of these words and wondering this complaint and these questions, what, what kind of tune are they sung to? We see it in verse one, O oh Lord, God of my salvation. You are Lord and you are my Lord. You are God and you are my God. You are the one who has saved me. You are the one who will save me. Always you are with me. Always you are for me. Even when the math doesn't add up. When we are in the dark, and when we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel and we begin to wonder if there is really a light at the end, this, this prayer is showing us the way, not in a superficial way to say it's no big deal, just put a smile on, not in a cynical way to say suffering is hard, there's nothing God can do, but an honest response that says you are God. And while this psalmist had reason to trust in his rescuing Lord, the reality is we have so much more. Earlier, we were able to joke about all of us going on a bear hunt together, a kind of adventure, an exploration to find something. Um, Jesus also went on what you might call an adventure, although it was much harder, it was much more difficult. He says in his own words, I've come to seek and to save the lost. I'm on a people hunt. I'm coming after my beloved. And on this journey would encounter many difficult things and at the end of it is a cross. And there are times when Jesus is preparing to go to that cross where his own disciples tell him, do not go there. There is a way around this. And it's then in which Jesus kind of says in his own words, can't go over it can't go under it. I can't go around it. I've got to go through it. And I want to go through it for you. And so he does that for us. And so as we look back on our God who has plunged himself into the deepest and darkest darkness there is in order to pull us with him and through it out to the other side, we can have hope even when the math doesn't add up, even when there's no tight, nice bow at the end, we can say, oh Lord, God of my salvation. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for speaking words into our lives. We thank you that you are a God who is brimming with life and joy and peace and hope and a God who plunges himself into the darkness in order to pull us out into the light and to give us your life. May we turn to you Where, wherever we are in our lives. Would you help us to lean into you today? And it's in your great name we pray, amen.